and I like tacos a lot. I just want you to know I do. Uh, so Easter was a couple weeks ago, and, and the story I'm talking about tonight is actually the story of, of Jesus right before Easter, and it got me thinking about last Easter, which was the weirdest Easter ever because it was in the middle of, you know, a pandemic, and we couldn't actually go to church on Easter Sunday, which was just like really hard for my brain to work out. And so we decided we were going to like do our best and we decided we were going to make an Easter egg hunt for our kids in our own backyard. We didn't really have any family come over, so it was just the four of us. And we were like, we've got some like Easter eggs and some Reese's eggs, so let's go ahead and do an Easter egg hunt, okay? So I have two kids. I've got um, Molly. She was four, almost four at the time. Okay, I had to do the math because it was a year and a few months. Like, so she was almost four at the time. And then Wallace was older than that, uh, two, six-ish, I don't know, their ages. I can tell you how old they are now, but just not a year and two months ago. Okay, so, so we're doing this Easter egg hunt, okay? So this first, first picture is Julie, where she hid an egg, okay? Uh, so I have it circled right there. It's kind of hard to see the picture. That is one of those white Easter eggs. Don't come at me, but the white Easter eggs, the white chocolate Easter eggs are the best Reese's ones. Um, and so we put it right there on the, like, the little electric, not the electric, that's not electrical, okay? We didn't tell our kids to go near the electrical things. It's uh, the phone lines and the cable lines and stuff. Put it right there, okay? So our daughter goes looking for it. Next picture. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so long. <laughs> So the picture, Julie's literally all like in the picture, or not in the picture, but she's still sitting right there next to it, okay? We have called our children over there. Next picture. Now both of them are there. You would think Wallace is surely staring right at it. He's not. He's not staring at it. And somehow, we were like five minutes, and the kids were just like, it's right here. And they were just like, I don't see an Easter egg. I don't see an Easter egg. Mom, Dad, you're lying to me. I don't see an Easter egg. They walked around the stupid thing, and finally, I think I just ate it. I was like, you have lost your privileges of this one, and this one is now mine. But, I, man, they, they, it was right in front of them, and they couldn't see it. And I think sometimes when we come into this place, Jesus is right in front of us, and we can't see him. And so the story I want to talk about is the story of Palm Sunday, which is the, the Sunday kind of we celebrate right the week before Easter, all right? So it's the month of Easter, so I can talk about it. And... It's a story of how Jesus walks into this, into Jerusalem, and people had kind of a different idea of who he is. And some people, man, they got it. They got who he was. And other people, they just didn't see it. So the story kind of starts off like this. It starts like this. It goes in Luke 19, 30, 31. Basically, he tells his followers, go get me a donkey. He says, go into that village over there, he told them. As you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one else has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here, if anyone asks. Why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. So they went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. Okay, first of all, uh, did they just steal a donkey? Like, is this a story where Jesus was like, hey, go steal a donkey from somebody? I don't know how it, like, worked way back in the way, but this feels like Grand Theft Donkey to me. Like, they were just, like, we're going to go there. And then I'm, the disciples, I can't imagine, they're just, like, walking and just like, we're just supposed to go take somebody's donkey? What are you, are you going to tell them the Lord said it? They're not going to believe it. What are we supposed to say? Oh, the Lord said it? They're not going to believe that at all. And so I'm sure they're like, see the donkey? And at first they're like, do we sneak up in here and take the donkey? 
Do we just like nonchalantly act like we own the donkey and try and take the donkey? I don't know how to do this. I've never stolen a donkey before. I just kind of imagine the disciples having a little bit of difficulty figuring this out. You know, and then they get caught and they're just like, uh, uh, the Lord needs it. Uh, and he's just like, oh, okay, sure. And it's like, yeah, cool. I'm going to take this donkey. And they just sort of like, that's how I imagine it in my head going. And so they get this donkey and the third thing I want to know about this is why a donkey? Why did Jesus ask for a donkey? Well, there's actually a little bit of like biblical background we need to know about why Jesus chose to ride a donkey into Jerusalem. And back in the day, every Jewish person would have understood why he rode a donkey because of this one verse in the Old Testament. So Jesus, where we read about Jesus was in the New Testament. 400 years before that was where the last book of the Old Testament was written, and the Old Testament was written. So there's a story or a verse in the book of Zechariah, which was a long time ago. It says this, rejoice, O people of Zion, which is a kind of a fancy word for people of Israel, people, Jewish people in that time. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. There you go. It explains it itself. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, Uh, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt, okay? So we see this verse, and it was written a long, long time ago, but every Jewish person had known the scripture, and this is a scripture that was talking about the Messiah, which was their Savior, and they kind of had this idea of what the Savior was gonna look like, so they had this idea, and so when he comes in on a donkey, all of them understood what it meant. But back in the day, kings would come in, enter into a city two different ways. One, they would enter into a city on a horse, a war horse, which meant they were coming in to take siege. They were coming in, planning on battling. They, they, were, they meant business. Or a king would come into a, an, into a town on a donkey. And that represented, I'm coming in peace. I'm not here to fight you. I'm coming in here in peace. And Jesus, rather than coming in on a war horse, which a lot of people back in the day, they pictured that that's what the Savior was going to be. He was going to be this like, big, strong general guy, and he was going to come in on his war horse, and he was going to defeat Rome, who was, who was conquered, who had conquered Jerusalem at the time, and he was going to give them freedom, and he was going to make the Israelite nation the strongest nation in the world again, and people sort of thought that that's what the savior of the world was going, or at least for them, was going to look like, but Jesus didn't come in on a war horse. He came in peace, and I think sometimes when we come into this place, when we worship, when, when we want, when we know we just need God's presence, when we need to like experience him in this place, or, or maybe we don't even know that we need it, but what we sort of want or expect God to do is we want him to come in on a war horse. We want him to just come in and just be like, I'm here, I'm Jesus, what are you doing? You know, we want him to just talk to us, speak to us, rattle things around, shake things up. We, we want him to just come and bring the fire and we collapse in this awesomeness because we were just in this room and just the fact that we were here, he was here and he was just like, we want him to come like that, right? But Jesus comes in peace, not chaos. And so there's this idea that Jesus isn't going to come in here and just like push his way into this place. No, 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 no. He's coming in peace. So let's continue. It says in Luke 19, 36, as he rode along, the crowds spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. So people back in the day, in this day, which was a Wednesday, uh, back in the day, they rode, never mind, uh, <laughs> 
They, if, if there was a king that was important or somebody of honor was coming down a road that they wanted to honor, they would lay down psalm, uh, palm branches or they would lay down their garments, their clothing, okay? And so they would just to honor him, like they didn't feel like he deserved, he was in such honor, they didn't think he should walk on dirt. They would rather him walk on their stuff. And we begin to see that instead of God coming in here and, and, and like on a war horse and just jumping in, he comes slowly. He comes in peace. And the people see him coming, and they see him coming, and they respond to the fact that he is coming into their city. And so they begin to take off their garments and lay them down on the road before him. And instead of expecting God when, to come in and do all the work, we begin to see a process of us, maybe when we're getting prepared for worship, to lay down our garments. We see that we know that Jesus is going to come in, but he's not going to be a bully about it. He's not going to be this warhorse general about it. He's, he's going to come in peace, not chaos. So now we're going, okay, I need to, he's coming. Well, I want to honor him, so I need to begin to lay things down. Well, what, what could our garments be? Maybe it's just we need to lay down the stress we're dealing with. We've got a lot going on at school. Stuff's crazy at home. All, you know, I, don't, I don't know what is going on in your life, but we understand that you carry real stress in your life. But maybe for worship, you need to lay that stress down on before Jesus. Maybe it's worry. You're just worried about stuff. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe you've gotten, you got into a fight with your parents or, or, or a friend or a teacher, and man, that's just in your head, and you're like going, I don't know if, if you're like me, but you're just going through like an imaginary argument with them again and again and again, trying to figure out the best comebacks to the things you imagine that they would say if you were to have that conversation, even though you're too chicken to actually have that conversation face-to-face. Just me? Cool. Uh, so maybe that's you, though. You're carrying some bitterness or some unforgiveness. Maybe you're carrying anger. You're frustrated about something, and you can't focus on worship because you're just angry at that, and maybe instead of staying focused on that anger. Maybe you need to lay down that anger. Maybe it's lust. I don't know. Maybe you're struggling with lust. Maybe it's just distractions in general. It's a friend. It's, it's something going on at home. It's your phone that's buzzing like crazy, or, or, or you're waiting for a reply of a text message, or I don't know. Maybe it's just a distraction, and you just need to lay it down so that Jesus can come into your heart so that Jesus can come in. Because he's not going to go, he's not going to tear all that stuff down and just say, I'm here, shut up. No, he's going to come in in peace. And we need to prepare our own hearts for that. And here's what I kind of want us to take a note on. They laid down their garments, and Jesus rode his donkey on top of their garments. He didn't be like, oh, no, 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 that's okay. You go ahead and pick that up. I don't, wanna, I don't want the donkey's nasty, dirty feet to walk on your garments. You know, move him out. No, he just was like, thank you for laying those down. And he walked across them. And I think sometimes when we want to hand something to God, we think that it's going to be this like, God, I, I give you this bitterness. And we want him to like take it. And we want him to just be like, oh, okay, like let's, let's take this. And I think sometimes it would be, it's better for us to understand that Jesus is like, he puts it on the floor and he walks across it. And I think that can be a little, you might think, man, that's a little bit harsh. But why? Because when your stuff is under Jesus' feet, you're not looking at your stuff, you're looking at Jesus. And so all of those things that you lay down on the ground for Jesus to be able to come in, now rather than holding on to that stuff, that stuff you're carrying when you walked in, it's on the ground and Jesus is on top of it. And now you go, you start to see the perspective. You're just like, oh, that, man, I really should just let go of that bitterness. Or, oh, I should, I should just, man, that stress. I'm just gonna let God, Jesus do his thing. I'm gonna let that go because he's right here. He's standing on top of it. He's bigger than that. He's stronger than that. It gives you a perspective. 
And all of a sudden you see your problems as beneath the Savior that wants to do a work in you. And that changes your heart and that can change your attitude during worship. So don't focus on the garment that you brought into this place. Focus on Jesus. Let's continue on this verse. It says, when he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. So the people go from, they see Jesus coming on a donkey, and they see he's coming in peace. Okay, he's not coming to fight, he's coming in peace. I'm gonna lay my stuff down so that he can come in honor. I wanna honor him by laying the things that I'm carrying down. And now I begin to praise him, and I begin to worship him. Something interesting in what they're saying, there's actually specific words that they're saying as Jesus is coming in. In Matthew 21, it says this, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. First, son of David was a direct statement that Jesus wasn't just a dude, but he was the son of God. Son of David was another name for the Messiah. So these people were declaring Jesus as who he is. And in worship, we need to declare, we're not just singing to some guy. We're not just singing to some God. We are singing to Jesus. We are singing to God, the one true God, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the Almighty, the Savior of the world, the one who died on the cross for your sins. That's who you are worshiping. And so when we sing these songs, we have to understand and not just sing the words, but in our minds go, who am I singing to? I am singing to the God, to Jesus, the Messiah, just like these people were declaring. So first they declare him son of David, but then also the word Hosanna. This is sort of this fancy, we use it now in like songs to sound pretty and poetic, but it just means simply save us. That's what Hosanna means, is save us. So you know how to humble yourself and show someone they're stronger or smarter or better than you is ask them for help. I don't know about you, I don't like asking people for help because when I ask people for help, it makes me feel weak it makes me feel stupid. It makes me feel a little bit inferior and infuriated when I have to ask people for help, right? And so it's hard to ask people for help, but this is kind of, can be what we need to do during worship. Worship needs to be this humbling thing where we're going, man, I I can't do it. Because without Jesus, we can't have the hope of eternity in heaven. Without Jesus, we can't have love. Without Jesus, we can't forgive those we need to forgive. Without Jesus, we can't overcome the obstacles, the difficulties, the trials in our lives. Without Jesus, we can't find peace or joy or hope without him. Worship is about humbling ourselves and saying to God, you're bigger. We worship you and we say, you're stronger, you're smarter and more powerful than me. And I need you, Jesus, to save me. I need you to save me from my thoughts because right now my thoughts are just toxic. I, uh, my thinking right now is poison to my mind, poison to my life. I need you to fix that. God, I need you to save me from my anxiety. I need you to ex- save me from my lust, my anger, my sin. When we worship, it's all about asking God for help. It's about laying that stuff down, inviting him in, declaring him who he is, and then humbling ourselves before him and saying, Jesus, you're worthy of my worship, and I need your help. So the Pharisees, continuing the story, were like the religious leaders uh, of the time, and they didn't really like Jesus because Jesus wasn't like preaching what they were preaching. He was preaching a powerful, new, radical way to live life, and they weren't all about it. 
And the truth is that they were just like, they were just very jealous, all right? Peanut butter and jealous right now. And so Luke 19 says this, some Jewish religious leaders who stood off from the procession. So these people were standing off to the side. They weren't laying, they did not, they saw Jesus coming, but then they didn't respond. They didn't go, Jesus is coming. Let me lay down a garment. Let me, let me praise him as the son of God. Let, let, me, let me just ask him to save us, humble himself. No, they were standing off to the side and they were judging what was happening. And they said this, teacher, order your followers at once to stop saying these things. So they're saying, they, they heard the people say, Hosanna, son of David, praise him, all these things. And they went up to him and they were like, hey, 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 that's not cool. Don't let these people say that about you. you. You need to have them stop. And this is how Jesus responded. Listen to me. If my followers were silenced, the very stones would break forth with praises. You don't have to worship. When you come into 4640, you don't have to worship. You don't have to praise. But me personally, I just hate, I hate the idea that I could be outdone by a rock, okay? That, that a rock could give bigger and better praise or worship God better than me. What did Jesus ever do for a rock? I mean, I don't know, like besides create the dumb thing, all right, he didn't ever do anything for a rock. He didn't come to save a rock. He didn't do, hey, all, but what did Jesus ever do for us? Man, Jesus, he came down, he died on a cross, he saved us. He loved us so much that he decided to give up his eternal heavenly power and, and majesty in heaven, came down, was born as a baby, and, and was raised, lived, lived a sinless, spotless, perfect life, and then was betrayed by his best friend, and then executed on a cross, the most excruciating, painful death. That's what Jesus did for us. He forgave us all of the stuff we've done, all the bad things we've done, all of the mistakes, all of the sins, all of the lies, all of the gossip, all of the lust, all of the things that we have done. He has forgiven us. He died on the cross to wash all of that stuff away. He's blessed us. Guys, we live here in an amazing country where we actually get to be here in this building, worshiping him, talking about him without worrying about somebody busting through those doors and sending each one of us to prison or worse. We live in a place where we have clothes, food, school, education, all of these things, technology, clean water. God has blessed us. That's what he's done for us. He's provided for us and he's protected us. We're all here. We all made it here driving in cars at 60 miles an hour. We, we, we make it from out of school parking lots, which are the most terrifying places in the world. He protects us. But what did God ever do for a rock? And yet he says, if those people won't worship, it's okay. Because the rocks will. And I'm not going to get outdone by a rock. I'm just not going to. My Savior deserves better than praise for a rock. My, he deserves praise and worship from his kids. He deserves praise and worship from people who understand who he is, what he's done, what he's about. I remember on Sunday, so we just did this worship night on Sunday. I don't know how many of you, if you guys came or not, but uh, there was one of the songs, uh, my, my son Wallace, he's seven now, I know his age, uh, seven, was down uh, kind of like third row back, and I was up on stage, and, and I got to lead one of the songs, and, and I was watching him, and we were singing this song, Holy Water, uh, and it's, it's, a, it's a banging song. It's a great song, right? And he knows the song really well. And I look down, and I, and, and I can see him because he's right in front of me, 
And we're singing the, the, the chorus of Holy Water, and it goes, Your forgiveness is like sweet, sweet honey on my lips. And I look down, and my son, all right, seven years old, eyes closed. He's shouting it. He's got his fist. He's like, Your forgiveness, all right? And he's just going after it. And let me tell you, all right, as, as a, a, a worship pastor, as B, as, as that being my son, looking down at that, man, the joy I felt from just watching my son, and he wasn't worshiping me. He was not singing to me. He didn't even know I was watching him. He was worshiping and singing to his father. But the, like, the joy that I felt in my heart, being the guy watching that happen, not even being the guy that it was to. And I just asked myself, man, how did God feel watching him? And I have to, I have to say, and, I, and I've got to believe that God felt a lot better watching Wallace sing his heart out to him on Sunday night than he feels watching a rock sing out to him. I got to imagine that, it, that, that he felt a, a joy inside of, inside of him, how proud God felt of, of Wallace at that moment because he was just unashamed. He was standing right next to his little buddy. If he had any excuse to not do anything that night, it would be because he didn't want to be embarrassed in front of his friend right there. But he said, no, I'm going to worship God right now in this place. And the way God felt, I'm sure, was, was a thousand times better than, than I felt. But I'm sitting up there on stage just like, <laughs> like crying my eyes out because I see him doing that. And it's just this beautiful thing, guys. God deserves it. He he, he deserves our worship. He, want, he wants our worship. He does. But he, he doesn't need it. It's what we need, though. It's what we were created for. It's what we were created to do. And it what brings us life. And it's what brings us peace. And it's what brings us healing and victory and worth. The truth is, guys, is we find worth in what we worship. I think people live their life struggling to find worth, struggling to find purpose, struggling to find low self, uh, struggling with, with low self-esteem because the worship things that, they worship things that have no worth. Listen to this verse in Jeremiah. It says, this is what the Lord says. What did your ancestors find wrong with me that led them to stray so far from me? They worshiped worthless idols, only to become worthless themselves. Maybe there's something in our life that we're worshiping ahead of him, more than him, worshiping first. Worship is simply giving something attention, giving something focus, investing your time into that thing, loving that thing, adoring that thing, spending time for that thing or that person, whatever it might be. There might be something in your life right now that you're worshiping ahead of him and you're wondering why you're just struggling in life, not feeling like you're amounting to much, not feeling a purpose, a worth, a love, a passion. And he's saying, because what you're worshiping is worthless and it can't give you any worth in return. worship him. He is the giver of all things, the supplier of all things, the provider of 
of all things. He comes in peace and he brings peace. He brings joy. I think a lot of us could use a little bit of peace. I don't think a lot of us realize how much we could use peace in our lives because we're too busy making sure that our life is crazy enough to re not realize how crazy our lives are. We fill it with all the things to make sure that we don't feel that anxiousness or that I don't know what to do with my hands. I don't like it when it's too quiet because we don't know what to do in that moment because in that moment there's no peace. But in that moment with Jesus, Psalms 89.15 says, happy, <laughs> happy are those who hear the joyful call to worship. I don't, I don't know about you, but I, I want to be happy. There's a lot of times in my life where I just go, man, I, I, don't, I don't know if I'm happy. Like I'm going through life, I'm doing the things, I'm, I'm living life, but I'm not sure if I'm really happy right now. And Jesus simply says, simply happy are those who hear the joyful call to worship. So what I want us to do, and we went a little bit quicker, and I wanted to do this message first so that, that I gave us some time to respond in this moment and respond in worship. So what we're going to do here in just a minute is we're going to stand up and we're going to come forward into worship. And I just want you to think about that. Jesus wants to come into this place, but he's going to come into peace. He's going to come in peace. We know that he's coming. And so then we go, okay, what do I need to lay down? And yes, maybe it's something difficult. Maybe it's something that's just been wrapping around your brain. Maybe it's something that's really hard to let go, but you need to lay it down in front of him. And maybe, yes, he'll pick it up and he's gonna hug you and love on you and Jesus is gonna wanna deal with that thing. Or maybe he's just gonna walk on top of it and say, I'm bigger than that. We don't even have to worry about that. I'm here. And we're gonna come forward, we're gonna lay that stuff down and then we're gonna worship him. We're de de gonna declare who he is, that he is Jesus. We're not gonna sing these songs like we're just singing a song on the radio, no. We're singing songs to God, the creator of the universe. That's who we're singing to. And we're gonna sing in a way that says, I, I, I need you to save me, and also thank you for saving me. And we're not gonna be like the Pharisees who were standing back, who saw Jesus come and simply judged and simply said, no, 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 don't, don't do that. You're gonna look foolish in this moment. Oh, no, no, don't, don't say that. that you don't, that's just make-believer. Or no, don't say that. You're not feeling it right now. We're not going to be those people who are standing. No, we're, we're going to say no. Because if, if I don't, then the rocks will. And I'm not going to be okay with that. And I want to experience God. I want to experience Jesus in, a, in an exciting way. I want to be happy. And so I'm hearing the call right now. And I'm hearing that call to worship. And I'm going to respond. Pastor Dan said this on Sunday night. He just said, "Great." There's a verse in Psalms that says, "Great is the Lord, and greatly is to him, greatly is he to be praised." Meaning, he's great, so he deserves to be praised, and that's it. And I think some of us in this room are searching for a, a reason to praise him, and we're looking inside of ourselves. We're looking at circumstances. We're looking at outcomes. We're looking at problems. We're looking at our history. And sometimes we come up short. As crazy as it sounds, sometimes we, it, it's not. We come up short. 
And in these moments, we have a choice. Do I worship? Do I not worship because he hasn't done anything great for me lately? Or do I choose to simply continue to worship him because he is great? Because he is who he says he is. Because although my story is not good yet, I know that he is faithful. And his promise is that he's not done yet. So therefore, I will praise him for what he's not even done yet because I know he will do it. But even more than that, sometimes our worship needs to just be about worshiping him because of who he is, not of what he has done, is doing, or will do. Because then it becomes about us. Worship should never be about us. Worship should be about him. because God you are good you are great and you are worthy to be praised God I pray in this moment but God not not just how we we interact and we act in this moment but God how we live our lives in in the quiet moments in the moments where we're not in this building but God we would still live a life of worship wanting to live a life that brings honor glory and praise to you and your name we love you and I pray that you would be with us as we go out from this place in Jesus name amen thanks for listening to the 4640 student center podcast For more information on what's happening in 4640, you can check us out on social media and at our website, 4640gj.com. Service times are Tuesday and Wednesday nights. Hope to see you there.